Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Well, we got a little basketball news this morning. We got a little baseball news. We actually, okay, maybe it's a little coronavirus related, but basically we can stay on the court and in the case of baseball on the field. Uh, Avery Bradley's not going to play for the Lakers. He's opting out. He's got uh, he's married with three kids, and he's got a six-year-old son who's had respiratory issues, doesn't heal well from respiratory distress, doesn't want to go into the bubble. His son probably wouldn't be okay to go into the bubble, so he's not going to play. And that brings us to, what are the Lakers going to do? You know, it's... Uh, He's a role guy, you know, but he's an important role guy. Uh, he has eight points, has a couple minutes, he handles the ball a little bit, plays some defense, hits a few shots. Um, you know, it's uh, it, it'll be interesting to see what they do. We're already hearing J.R. Smith. That was like the first thing. He's obviously got the tight of the Lakers, and that's a chance to play some classic playoff video on a playoff broadcast. You know, J.R. not knowing the time and LeBron looking at him. I mean, will we ever forget that? Oh my gosh, they had a chance to beat the Warriors and win that game in the NBA Finals. I think game one, if memory serves me right. And uh, so, get ready to dredge that up. Maybe somebody else, uh, but the, the, the Lakers are going to need to add a player here to replace Bradley, who you know, obviously isn't everything, but uh, he's something. And I'm not convinced there's that big a margin between the Lakers and Clippers, between the Lakers and Bucks. so every little bit matters. Now, all of this is, you know, just uh, – it, well, it's always theoretical in the best of times, right? We've seen injuries turn playoffs on their head multiple times in the last five years. But it's even more theoretical this year because we really don't know what teams are going to come back and really get into a groove and play great. Is everybody going to get back to where they were, looking good, on a roll, or is somebody going to come back and stumble and just never really recapture the mojo? Huge question mark. But obviously, losing a guy out of your rotation, a guy who plays some important minutes for you, you know, that's going to be a problem. So uh, the other story is baseball's back. It's a 60-game season. So now we can pick up uh, where we left off. Well, not exactly. We can't. You know, we didn't actually get to the season. It was spring training. You know, do you need your mind refresh some stuff? Uh, Joe Madden left the Cubs. He's an angel. What? Anthony Rendon left the Nationals and the World Champs, who are trying to repeat. And, uh, you know, he went to the Angels. So now you got a bat to protect Mike Trout. Um, what is Trout's 28 now, I guess, right? And, you know, is this, uh, is this his best chance? Because he's been a very good player, but the Angels haven't been a very good team. He's needed more talent around him. And obviously a lot of that comes down to pitching. Um, the Dodgers, I mean, they just keep winning the division and then get back in the playoffs. And then will they get back to the World Series? And will they finally win it? Is Clayton Kershaw uh, going to get a championship? You know, they've got a lot of good young arms. How will they perform under pressure in the clutch? There's a ton of questions out there. There's a there's a ton of storylines in baseball, um, and we got 60 games. For those of you who say the season's too long and I can't pay attention, well, now you don't have to. It's two months. I mean, it starts and it's there. Think of the the Nationals getting off to such a terrible start and being 12 games under 500 after 50 games. Yeah, you can't do that this year. You got to hit the ground running. Now we may have Cy Young Award winners who have. Uh, who get, what, like uh, 12 starts? Is a Cy Young Award winner going to be anybody who can, like, win eight games? <laughs> Will that get it done? <laughs> hey, they were 8-2. and two. He was 7-1. and one. He's the guy. Um, how many innings will a Cy Young Award winner pitch, especially if they're protecting you, you know, early on, if the arm strength isn't quite built up and, uh, 
you know, pull you after six innings and you get 12 starts and nobody's going to get to 100 innings. You know, everybody, everybody ought to be fresh and peaking in the playoffs. It's going to be different, but it's going to be, it's going to be sports. Assuming they pull it off, assuming nothing crazy happens. There was a note on Twitter that got a lot of traffic last night about the commissioner has the right to move teams. So if there's a city that's a hot spot um, and baseball's got to keep playing, uh, do you move to a, a AAA or AA ballpark? You know, I saw people saying, uh, Scotty G tweeted something out, and some other people did too about, hey, bring, uh, well, actually, Yach, Yach did, uh, about Yach bringing the Mariners here and Scotty about bringing the Angels here. Um, obviously, they're trying to minimize travel. So any team that came to Salt Lake would have to be from the West. But, you know, there's other AAA baseball uh, ballparks. And I there what we don't have is we don't really have AA out here. You know, somewhere in Texas, they could probably just use a AA park. I mean, if you're not putting fans in parks, what does it matter? You could really play in a single-A park. <laughs> Major leaguers getting back to their roots, right? Because, like, in the L.A. area, if the Dodgers or Angels had to move, just, just moving out to the high desert maybe would make a difference. And Rancho Cucamonga or any other California league teams. Uh, hopefully it won't come to that. I don't know what they'll do. It's kind of unprecedented times. All right, DJ PK, more on this coming up. Stay with us. It's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, time to talk with Kirk Cragthorpe, covering Utah Golf for Fairways Media and the Salt Lake Tribune. He joins us on the Sprint Special Guest Line. Sprint makes it safe and easy to get what you need online. Visit Sprint.com for online services and local store availability. Kurt, good morning. Morning, guys. Good to hear your voice, Kurt. Uh, Mutually, it's good to be back on after uh, six months, I think. So you retire and then the whole world comes to a stop. What would you do, Kurt? How did you do that? Yeah, the, the problem was that if sporting events had continued, I would have felt left out. So this this way, I'm I'm not missing anything, basically. And not only that, I get to cover golf, which I enjoy doing, and is basically the the one sport around here that's still going on. So yeah, it, it definitely is my fault. <laughs> yeah, I can recall. You know, obviously, I've spent hundreds if not thousands of hours with you over the years and you were talking about the weirdness sometime in the fall of not being involved in like for for instance the jazz postseason and sure enough we don't even have a jazz postseason or yet anyway maybe we'll hopefully we will have it later on this summer uh, as far as the golf goes, you know, we know that the PGA has come back and uh, you're doing the other stuff that's in the state, but it's going to be a bigger tournament. That's what? Is that this week or next week? When? What's going on with that? Right. The, the Corn Ferry Tour, which is, in essence, the AAA tour of the, the PGA Tour, it's really better quality golf than that, which I've tried to convince people of for the last 30 years that it's come to Utah, but... The Utah Championship is being played at Oak Ridge Country Club in Farmington this week, so so I'll be up there. And the irony of this is, uh, if everything goes well and I cover all four days of that tournament, I, I will have done six days of live sports coverage, which probably is the Tribune high for the last 100 days. So 
I'm still setting records, but uh, not, not to jinx anything, but but there, yeah, it's, it's going to be a little bit weird. Uh, there's never been a million fans attend this event, which is a, an, another subject in itself. That I think people just haven't been aware of the quality of golf, but the point being that, that fans are not allowed on site, even Danny Summerhays' many relatives uh, won't be allowed to come and watch him play, so it'll be kind of weird there, but the, the Golf Channel will be there televising, so at least we'll have a, kind of the look and feel of a, a real golf tournament, and it's always fun. You know, one thing you were always famous for is you could keep track of everybody with any Utah tie and what they were doing and where they were and what was going on. And it's easy enough to keep track of a few, but you kept track of more than anybody I knew. And this field has people with Utah ties in it, and they really have intriguing storylines. It's not just that they're in it, but for where they are in their career, it's pretty interesting. Yeah, I was just thinking about that. There's literally guys from age 17 to age 50 with Mike Weir uh, using this event to tune up for the Champions Tour. He's already turned 50, obviously, uh, six weeks ago, but the, but the senior pro golf tour hasn't played since he had his birthday, so he, uh, he has yet to make his debut, and that actually won't even come until the end of July in Michigan, but, but he'll be there, and, and then Young Preston Summerhays at, at 17, uh, the two-time state amateur champion and the reigning U.S. junior amateur winner has a sponsor exemption, and, and it'll be fun to watch. He, I'll be surprised if he doesn't make the cut, actually, because he's that good. I agree with you on the quality of golf. Now, I have not, in full disclosure, been up to Oak Ridge, but when it was at Willow Creek, which is just a couple of miles away, I would go every year on a Saturday afternoon, and the quality of golf that they play, I mean, uh, you, and we actually, we broadcast a few times, and we'd be over by, uh, I don't know if it was the 10th or the 1st, I know DJ and I were out there, and you'd watch these guys, and you really can't tell a difference <laughs> the, uh, if, as you watch them, you know, what between the the high-ranking tour players and these, I don't know if I can call them up-and-coming players, but whoever they might be, there's not a huge difference. The quality of golf is some of the best in the world. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. People do say it's the, the second-best tour in the world ahead of the European tour. And, and yeah, I've always been fascinated by pro golf. Uh, it's kind of similar to baseball in some ways, but... But in golf, you, you, you get a score every day attached to your name, and so it's a little bit easier to measure the talent. And, and it's such a fine line. It's just, it, it's just staggering to me to, to look at guys who, who never quite make it and, and try to figure out what, what they lacked. And the answer usually is, is not much, uh, just, just a tiny fraction of ability that, that separates a guy who can sustain a PGA Tour career and, and a guy that never makes it out there or or, or doesn't get out there and, and can't stay. I mean, that's that's the other fascinating part to me about the PGA Tour is is it, it's one thing to get there, but then you, you start at zero dollars every year and you're trying to to uh, reestablish yourself. There's no multi-year contracts for a a guy coming out of college, for example. So, 
So yeah, it's really really intriguing to me to to try to determine what the difference is. But but to your point, I've always said you could you could have somebody stand on the range and tell them they're they're at the U.S. Open and and to watch the players hit shots. You'd have no choice but to believe that was true. So is the the winning score in this tournament usually, regardless of what course it's at, is somewhere around twenty under. I mean, guys, the, their talent and the elevation—it's amazing how many birdies they're going to make. Is there a course in the state, and a lot of things go into whether a, a course can host a tournament? Is there a course in the state that just based on the course? these guys would struggle with? Or are they so good that they're probably going 20, the winner's going 20 under wherever you play it? Yeah, I, I think that's the case. And, and I think that's part of, and not all of, the explanation why Utah's never had a, a top-level PGA Tour event is that there just isn't a course that can truly challenge these guys. Uh, Johnny Miller, when he built Thanksgiving Point, thought it would be a, a tour quality or even a USGA quality test and, and they played the, the Corn Ferry Tour event out there for two years and and, and they played it at 7,500 yards or something like that and guys, you're just still shot. I, I don't know exactly what the rooting score was. I, I also think they played it par as one less than usual turn one of the par fives into a par four and, and guys still shot 1,600 or whatever to win it. So so yeah, it's, it's just amazing. Uh, and, and of course, like Oak Ridge, is kind of short to begin with. And uh, man, these guys will shoot phenomenal numbers. The other, the other part that's interesting, and again, it goes back to the idea of how tough it is to make it out there. Yesterday, they had the Monday qualifying at Talons Cove in Saratoga Springs, and for the average person like us, it, it's it's all the tests we want. And uh, and you had to shoot 65 just to get into a playoff to uh, advance to the to Oak Ridge, and so man, there's just there's just so many good golfers out there. It's, it's it continues to uh, boggle my mind. And on the flip side, there's so many bad golfers out there that it continues to boggle my mind, and they're usually right ahead of me when I'm playing. <laughs> or, or right with you, you never know. <laughs> so I watched the last couple of weeks, you know, because like you and me, DJ and Hatch, we're starved for live sporting events. And so we're watching it. And to me, I adjusted rather quickly to the no fans because it was about the competition and we haven't had it for so many months and weeks and all that stuff that, you know, I'd prefer fans to be out there and, and the noise and the clapping and all that stuff and in the hole, all those idiots who say that stuff. But I did make the adjustment fairly quickly. How do you think it'll be when you cover a tournament with no fans, recognizing that there wasn't a ton of fans anyway relative to a PGA event? Yeah, it, it'll be kind of weird. I, I think they don't even have gallery ropes at uh, Oak Ridge. They, they talked about doing that just to kind of make it look like a normal tournament setup, and but I, I don't think they'll even have the ropes. And, and so, so it's, it's funny how that kind of just gives you the aura of a, a real tournament when you, when you stand outside the ropes. Uh, apparently, they're going to let us stand on the cart paths, which are about 20 yards from the green, and and so, yeah, it'll, it'll be weird to just be walking out there on the course alone. And to your point about the TV, I, I thought about this, that 
that golf is probably the one sport that you watch on TV that you don't really think about the fan presence. Now, obviously, with the Ryder Cup or something like that, where they're just going crazy, it, it kind of creates that atmosphere. But but to watch those tournaments at uh, Colonial and Hilton Head the last two weeks, it kind of didn't you didn't think about fans not being there except when you would hear someone yell from their balcony of their house or something like that but but yeah it, it seems like golf is the one sport that that doesn't need fans to provide the tv studio atmosphere if that makes sense and so if if it comes to that in in say college football it'll be interesting to compare the two that way i, I obviously i think you would notice in football that that fans are not there, but but less so in golf for sure. Hey, you mentioned Mike Weir earlier. He's going to be playing in this tournament. And have you heard any scuttlebutt, any rumors about when the the senior tour might start again, and he might be out there, or is that something that's uh, not just on the back burner, but off the stove and outdoors on a picnic table or something? No, they definitely have that schedule. It's, it's July thirty first in. Uh, Somewhere in Michigan, I think it's at uh, where they used to play the Buick Open, mm. and uh, so yeah, so that's that's definitely uh, ready to go. But but the the PGA Tour champions will of all the basically all the the main leagues, so to speak, it, it will be the last one to to come back for whatever reason. But but they're definitely on board for July 31st there. So so Michael gets some maybe eight or so tournaments this year to, to get started on that circuit. So the transition to no fans for me was pretty easy in golf, as I just said. And we've got some sports coming up uh, to one degree or another. Basketball is going to start, and I think baseball will be shortly thereafter. From the viewership experience on the couch, do you think that it's going to make much of a difference as far as no fans? I really don't because uh, I mean it's kind of fun when they when they show the fan reaction shots uh, on television and, and you kind of get a sense of what it's like t- to be there. But but as far as but ninety percent of the of what you see is just the the playing area anyway, and so so I don't I don't think it'll be affected all that much. Uh, Again, I mean, the the reason you go to the games is to experience that atmosphere, and so you're you're already sacrificing that, or or you're not you're 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 doing without that if by staying home and watching it. So you're you're removed from it, I guess is what I'm saying. And and so if you're going to be removed from it already, you probably don't even notice that it's there or not there, if if that makes sense. So I, I think that as far as Watching games from your living room, I, I think that experience won't be that much diminished. Yeah, there's the uh, the roar of the crowd we all get used to as a putt starts, a long putt starts tracking to go in and all that. And I wonder if you miss that or if you'd rather be able to hear the players occasionally, regardless of what it is they might be saying. Yeah, that part's been kind of fun, whether, whether they've actually been mic'd up or, or just have the boom mics out there in the fairway picking up on the conversations with the the caddies. I, I, I've enjoyed that aspect of it pretty well. So what's typical day like if it doesn't involve golf for retired Kurt Craigthorpe? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's been interesting. I, I, will, I will say this, that these six months, of, even COVID aside, 
have kind of been the most interesting thing I've ever gone through just because you kind of picture what it might be like and then then you find out that there's a few different psychological phases you go through in terms of feeling left out or or relieved I, w- I will say this that the, the happiest day of my retirement was the day that the Morgan Scally and Caleb Loner news broke within about an hour on a Friday afternoon I finally said to myself okay do I need that stress no thank you very much <laughs> Josh Newman can have all that but uh, yeah see so the psychological part aside the practical side is I have discovered that it, that it is true that uh, you, you kind of do find self-worth from working a little bit and so uh, my latest thing is I've become a slow-pitch softball umpire just to give myself <laughs> some uh, schedule and something to look forward to. But, yeah, it's, it, it's been interesting. Well, what league do PK and I have to sign up with because we want to have a beef <laughs> with the umpire? Uh, ironically enough, I, my next assignment will be in the Sandy Coed League where I once competed against Jackie Kinahan. <laughs> who was an outstanding player, I should have. So, yeah, a team needed somebody. They didn't need me. They needed a woman. <laughs> well, it, it, happened, it happened to be a, a talented woman, so she was a good acquisition. No yeah. So I didn't get to play, and I was pouting, and she she got to play. But I do think, you know, I've had a pathetic athletic career, I must admit. But one of the highlights was playing for the Daily Breeze league, uh, team and down there at, uh, in Torrance, I actually got ejected once from a game. I'm, I'm proud to say I got ejected. Why does that not surprise any of us? <laughs> now, can I, am I allowed to give the details, DJ? Absolutely. Yeah, so we had a pitcher, and I was playing third base, because as everybody knows, I won the gold glove at third base at Thunderbird High my senior year. I only had three errors and 55 chances, and one of them was a Baltimore chopper into the sun at Moon Valley High, home of Ozzie Virgil and Richard Jefferson, and their field faced the west. So in you know professional ballparks, you, you, you can't look into the west. And so anyway, the ball got uh, lost in the sun, but I got charged an error. So nevertheless, I'm playing third, and we had a hot pitcher and he is arguing with the umpire and the umpire comes back and or comes out to the to the not a mound just a pitching rubber and they start going at it and I go over to the umpire I said well why don't you go back to home plate and the argument will stop and he said I don't want to hear anything from you and I looked at him and I gave him like you got to be kidding me I gave him a puzzled look. He ejects me. And the next thing you know, the argument, the heated argument that the pitcher and the umpire were having, it totally went away because everybody on our team fell to the ground laughing so hard that I got ejected. And all I said was, why don't you go back to the mound and then made a funny face. (laughs) And, And... you're with the ejection. If you got the one ejection, you had to sit out a week. If you got two, they suspended you. And I said to the umpire, I said, how could you throw me out for that? He said, yeah, I know, but I already threw you out, so I can't undo it. But I'll tell you what, I won't report it so you don't have to sit out next week. That sounds fair. <laughs> you want to tell all the ejection stories now? Entertain Kurt. Reward him for coming on. 
What what other ejection stories? Uh, didn't you get someone else ejected once? Oh yes, I got the high school baseball coach at uh, Jordan ejected uh, <laughs> a few years back. The umpire missed a foul, a, a ball that went down the third base line. He either called it fair or foul, and it was uh, it was obviously wrong. Our guy. Uh, a guy named Ron Anderson, who was the most beautiful example of a high school coach that I'd ever been around, uh, just a marvelous, marvelous Christian man. You'd want him to mentor your sons, every single one of them. He was just just a jewel of a person, still is for that matter. He goes out and argues, and it was clear that they blew the call. And I was standing uh, between home plate and the dugout. All the people who were standing, sitting in the stands that could see it right down the third base line, they're screaming and yelling. They... Uh, uh, Ron gives up the argument and tells the guy to go back. And he said, I got the call and I made it right. And Ron's walking back to the dugout. And I'm standing behind the fence to the left of the dugout. And I said, no, you didn't. You missed the call. He thought that it was the coach of the team. He ejects the coach. <laughs> and you know that moment where you used to have the Southwest commercials where everybody's looking at you, want to get away? All of a sudden, I had the eyes of the entire ballpark looking at me because I said, no, you didn't. You missed it. And he ejects the coach. And the coach looked at me. You just got me ejected. And, again, you, you're, you're subject to suspension. Well, I used my uh, influence with the Utah High School Association and told them that it was me who said that, and I got the first base umpire to verify it, so they did not have the, sus- the ensuing suspension. And after that, that was when uh, somebody in my family was just a freshman. After that, I learned it's probably best that I watch the games from down in left field. <laughs> Never said a word the next, the rest of the, the rest of the time. Those are two great stories. <laughs> <laughs> and if you have any, be sure to call us and let us know. <laughs> <laughs> That's our guy right there, Kurt. Huh? One of a kind. Absolutely. Who else could pull that off? Well, Kurt, we appreciate a few minutes in your busy uh, semi-retirement to uh, stop by and talk a little golf with us. It's been fun. Glad to be back with you guys. All right. We'll do it again. Thanks a lot. Okay. There's Kurt Cragthorp, formerly of the Watchdog, a.k.a. the Salt Lake Tribune, now writing digitally and still doing a little bit of golf for the uh, Salt Lake Tribune as well. When we come back, Jerry Brewer from the Washington Post. Should NBA players focus on social justice and not play or capitalize on the spotlight that they command, the stage they have to perform on and do their social justice work from there while they're playing in Orlando? Jerry Brewer with a column on that and also a column on hope, which can be a little hard to find right now. Uh, We will get to that with Jerry Brewer from the Washington Post next. Stay with us. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. We're joined now by Jerry Brewer, Washington Post sports columnist. He joins us on the Sprint special guest line. Sprint makes it safe and easy to get what you need online. Please visit Sprint.com for online services and local store availability. Jerry, good morning. Good morning. How are you? Good. 
So we've heard from uh, some NBA players wondering, should they be playing basketball now? Should they go to Orlando, to the bubble? Or should they be working on social justice issues and racial inequality issues? And we've heard from players who are saying, well, we should be doing both and we should take advantage of the stage of playing in Orlando to do it. You wrote a column for the Washington Post that caught our eye. What do you think as you listen to the players have that debate pretty publicly? I think just on that debate, debate whether to play as it relates to social justice, uh, I think they would be somewhat irresponsible not to want to use their platform um, to, to send messages, you know, some overt, some subliminal, um, that can help their cause. Uh, you know, it just gets incredibly complicated when you bring in the pandemic and, and health and safety, and that one is... Um, one that I'm not sure exactly how you get there, but they had already decided that they wanted to play. And so it's already been negotiated between the players union and the owners. You know, so I think that part ultimately is, is buttoned up. I don't think it's a question of whether to play because of that. I think it's a question of how do we play? You know, what's the most responsible way to present our game? And there's all of these new options right to present the game because you're not going to play in front of in arenas in front of 19,000 people you're going to be playing on in a closed environment and your basketball court is essentially just going to be a glorified television stage Um, so there's some unique opportunities uh, to transmit you know some messages while you're trying to entertain and I think that's where they're trying to get to with this um and uh, I think because they're having the conversation, uh, they'll actually get to a place that's um, incredibly well thought, thought out and potentially powerful. You say that's potentially powerful, and certainly it is. Do you think, or maybe just you yourself, as far as the NBA, put yourself in both shoes, you personally in the NBA, is there a line there that they have to make sure they don't cross as far as being basketball players to the point of having a message and maybe overdoing the message? Any concern there? Uh, I mean, there's only so much you can do in a basketball game, right? I mean, you're not going to be pausing, like, on the middle of a fast break for, like, a quick um, social justice message. (laughs) You know, LeBron, let me hang in the air for an extra 10 seconds, but let me, you know, say the name of Breonna Taylor. Like, no. Um, I mean, it's still... It's still an event, you know, and it's still a sporting event, and sports, the sport is still going to be at the heart of it. So, no, I don't think that's a concern. I mean, you're thinking about, you know, what are going to be your displays during breaks in action before the game? Is there going to be something after the game? Is there going to be something at halftime? Um, can you get your television partners to uh, televise those things, you know, PSAs? Um, those kinds of things would all be a part of it. You know, maybe maybe it's um, something that they're wearing pregame or whatever. Um, uh, you know, so I think if people are going to be turned off by that um, and you don't want to watch a basketball game just because uh, its players are pleading with the rest of the nation um, to uh, care about the lives of black people, um, you know, I would question whether they're even worth having a stand, um, whether you really want their money. Um, so, uh, no, I mean, I, I don't think there's any great conflict about it because 
I think that you're still able to do it, and people are who want to watch the basketball are still going to watch as good of a brand of basketball as you're going to get in this environment. Jerry Brewer joining us, Washington Post sports columnist. I don't know, uh, you know, what kind of access you have to NBA players and what distance or, or how close you are to what you're writing here. Uh, I'm curious, though, what players think when they see what happened with NASCAR because we've heard a lot about, you know, we need a national conversation. There's a level of uh, naivety, ignorance, blind spots, and we need to be educated about them. But I watch, well, I don't watch literally, but when you hear that someone has put a noose in someone's garage, it's like, what level of conversation is going to get through to that person? You know, how, how do we possibly, and how many people are there like that out there do you know if players are weighing that part of the discussion or have they just set that aside and they're dealing with people over here who have blind spots and ignorance and naivety and need to be educated? Um, I mean, I think they're trying, I think they're weighing all of these. You know, I mean, I, it was kind of crazy as, as I, and I wrote a couple of columns on it last week. So, you know, um, you know, through text message and through, phone conversation, you know, there, there was, you know, at least a half dozen players that, that, that I was talking to, um, you know, just about a, you know, not just about their issue, but about, you know, how they think about everything. And, um, I mean, they're, they're concerned, um, they're concerned with, with, you know, overt displays of racism, you know, such as um, the noose and, and the garage stall of, of Bubba Wallace's car. Um, but they're also concerned about um, you know systemic you know more 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 subtle ways that racism moves. Uh, mostly, they're they're about a couple of things. They're about um, wanting to to shout it down, um, and they're about wanting to do something in which they can they can unify people who want to support this effort. And uh, I think everything that they're thinking is. Along those lines, I mean, you know, I mean, there's some who, who, um, you know, have this thought of, of protest or boycott, but you know, I would push back at them and say, you know, normally when you're going to boycott something um, or protest something, it's because um, those people aren't listening to you. It's incredibly hard for you to want to boycott Adam Silver and the NBA when their ears are wide open. Um, you know, in those cases, you don't boycott them, you partner with them. Um, and uh, I think the overwhelming sentiment from players is just um, we don't want to lose this moment and we want to do something powerful in this moment. But um, their moment is a little bit different than the moment that Colin Kaepernick chose when he was a, you know, a bit of a lone wolf, you know, standing there, um, kneeling when there was only, um, you know, two or three players in the league. Um, willing to take such a stance, um, but the league was pretty much. You know, I don't want to hear your concern about this. Uh, in this case, it's totally different um, from the NBA. So the players want to keep it raw and they want to be connected with the people who are walking the streets. Uh, you know, however, you have as much support from your league um, as as any sports league in America. And you have to recognize that you want to use that. You don't want to rebel against something um, that's supporting you. You know, you need to use that. 
Have you been able to follow Donovan Mitchell? He's been active on social media here with a couple of things he's put out as far as the social justice issue and to see what he's been able to do. Yeah, man, I'm a I'm a Louisville basketball fan basically since birth. <laughs> um, so, uh, I mean, Donovan Mitchell is someone who, yeah, I mean, I've followed him since high school, and he's one of the five or ten players in the league that, that I follow the most. I mean, I think he's um, – He's just an he's an incredible player, first of all. And as he finds his voice as a young man, um, I think I think he he's understanding um, his power and his impact. And I just you know I, I love um, you know there's always been for me kind of this affinity um, with with the Jazz organization because uh, way back in the day, Daryl Griffith. Um, you know, another, you know, Dr. Duncan Stein, another great global player, um, play for the Jazz. And then now um, Donovan Mitchell is there starring, you know, um, has a chance to be potentially even better than Daryl Griffith was. Uh, certainly his high is better than Daryl Griffith's high. So, um, yeah, I've, I've, I've followed him. And I just think he's, um, uh, you know, he appears to be a tremendous young man. And because his heart is in the right place, um, I think his messaging has been as responsible and as as impactful as any stars in the NBA. Jerry Brewer joining us, Washington Post sports columnist. Uh, You've clearly got a sense of the history of the sport and clearly got some passion for it. So as you watch this tournament unfold in Orlando, how do you place it in the history of the game, or do you even worry about that right now, given everything else going on? Yeah, I worry about it. I think there's, I think there's a chance that it could really look like a deformed version of the NBA. Um, I do worry about the, the quality of play. Um, I worry about also just what it, um, what it says. You know, on, on one hand, um, you're trying to tie yourself to saying that Black Lives Matter. On the other hand, um, a league that is predominantly black, um, you're, you're you're essentially going out and, and throwing a little bit of caution to the wind out there and going and playing because we just don't we still don't have a good grasp on um, how dangerous this virus is. You know, it's dangerous enough to shut down economies for a period of time and keep us in our houses, but. Um, now, you know, sports is trying to make this uh, impact by coming back and salvaging what money they have uh, or what money is, is they can salvage, you know, what it, a couple of billion uh, potentially, um, you know, which is, you know, roughly what, about 51% of that goes to the players, 49 to the owners, so they're both in it for about a billion dollars. Um, you do wonder, is, is this ultimately going to be worth it? Um, the way... The, the as erratic as this virus is, you know, my big concern is just um, you might be able to get started, but are you going to finish? And um, if it's if it's the, the the Utah Jazz and the Lakers in the conference semifinal, and it's two two, and you have to suspend the rest of the season because there's too much of an outbreak of coronavirus, um, that's going to be emptier than ending the season on March 11th when everybody's played 64, 65 games. A couple of weeks back, you wrote a piece where you talked about the lowest moments of your life. You just rediscovered 
the gift of hope, I guess, basically in sports. Could you amplify that? Yeah, I mean, I think that, um, you know, like a lot of people, I mean, I think it kind of transcends race. Uh, we're just really down, um, you know, after George Floyd's death and then, um, you know, the continuation of death and just watching cities burn, you know, as people uh, not only peacefully protested, but rioted and looted. And, um, you know, my, my thought was just, we're just not going to get it. We're never going to get there. This is something that that has uh, has gone on long before any of us were born. And I'm going to die not seeing progress that is satisfying. So that's kind of the place that I was in. I mean, I, I've always been a very hopeful, optimistic person. You know, I'm the kid who, uh, you know, Black History Month recited the I Have a Dream speech, you know, every um, every February, um, in front of big audiences, uh, growing up in Kentucky. Um, but you know, at that moment, I really did feel like my tank, my tank was empty. But, uh, you know, one thing that sports has taught me is it's about the striving. Um, it's, it's not about perfection. It's about striving. Um, you know, I love that about sports. You know, you, you win or you lose, you go and, and, and you, um, watch the film and you try to come back and, and get better. And I think that same kind of ethic uh, is, is what this fight is about. Uh, so I wanted to, you know, essentially that, that was, um, it starts out depressing in that column, but it's about really, it's kind of a, an ode to people who continue to strive. And uh, I, I did, there's just, there's something, um, really powerful in sports and kind of seeing that. I love comebacks. You know, that notion that, um, you know, you're down 20 points in the second quarter. You, you come back and win because you refuse to quit. Um, and, uh, you know, in society, uh, we've been down, even though we don't realize it, for a long time. But, you know, there's still people who are, you know, fighting. You know, let's, let's try to get on this. 6-0 run, and, and let's just try to nibble at this and see if we can get back in the lead. A lot of people listening to you right there heard you drop a lot of Jerry Sloanisms right there. <laughs> I appreciate that. <laughs> it's, a, it's about the struggle. Come back tomorrow. What have you got? Show me what you've got. Are you just going to roll over and take another beating? Are you going to plant your feet and all that stuff? We heard that stuff for years. Jerry Brewer joining us, Washington Post sports columnist. So uh, I, I'm curious your take on uh, you know players. They are um, so popular, especially the stars, and there's so much celebrity. And there's people doing the work who would like to partner with them but can't reach them. They are by necessity kind of walled off. And it's been getting more that way, whether uh, even little things, you know, just you know, when you can talk to them before and after games, everything gets more structured and less, less real. Do you think some of those walls are going to come down in this area? Do you think we're going to see more players partnering with organizations that already exist, or are they going to do their own thing? Um, I hope some of those walls come down, uh, but I, I think 
um, it's going to be incredibly difficult. You know, I mean, I think a lot of players are just about, um, you know, as they try to, as they really get into true empowerment, um, a lot of it is I can do, I can create what you're trying to create on my own. Um, there's really been that kind of a, of a mentality. But um, there's something about this one and, and seeing so many players um, walking the streets with the people. Um, hopefully, I think, and, and also being in isolation um, for a large part of, of three months, um, I think you start to realize that connection matters. And, um, you know, it's not just about you and your legacy. Um, you know, the greatest legacy you can have is, is, uh, is being there for other people. And so I think um, some players, I think a Donovan uh, Mitchell, as, as we um, discussed earlier, I think he's somebody who's going to connect with that and, and um, be as open as he can be. I think it's also easier um, for, for, for Donovan to do it um, in one of the NBA's quote-unquote smaller markets as opposed to, um, you know, maybe LeBron, who's just this big international icon um, now playing in Los Angeles. But um, I think there's, um, there is going to be, I think as, you know, as things, if, as we come out of this, you know, period, this quarantine period, um, I think on a lot of levels people are going to want to um, partner and respect and connect with others. And I think NBA players um, will be a part of that spirit. You know, the question for everyone just becomes when things get back to as close to normal and everything's comfortable again, are you going to just fall back into your old ways? Or will you have created a new normal that works better for everyone? And um, I hope that's something that NBA players are weighing because it's certainly something that that, that I weigh, um, you know, just thinking about this time. Jerry, we appreciate a few minutes. Thanks for sharing your time with us. Uh, anytime. Uh, I really appreciate the opportunity, guys. There's Jerry Brewer from the Washington Post. When we come back, what is trending? All the headlines are on the way. Stay with us.